0: If any of you grew up playing any kind of organized sports, my bet is that you have had a coach who has said to you at one point, keep your eye on the ball. (laughs) The idea is very simple. Focus is crucial to victory, but depending upon the sport, the irony is where you need to focus actually varies and sometimes is not on the ball. In high school and college, I played racquetball, and in racquetball, both players face the front of the wall even though the ball is ricocheting all over the place. Basketball players on defense often watch the stomach of the person they're guarding, because whatever the point guard does with the ball, they can't go anywhere without their stomach. Tennis players require an incredible amount of focus, but some of the pros hit the ball so hard the human eye cannot even keep track of it. So, even though it's sometimes wrong, It has a kernel of truth. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. Distraction, a failure to focus on the goal at hand, is the quickest shortcut to loss. The new sermon series we're starting today is about focus. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, keeps coming back to this theme over and over again. He says, stand firm, hold fast, stay focused now if you've ever read paul's other letters you know that he can vary in tone in many different ways if you've read galatians you get angry paul if you read romans you can get very theological paul second corinthians very sarcastic paul but in philippians you get thankful paul He writes that he is confident that the good work that God began in the Christians in Philippi will be brought to completion. But he writes to them saying, you need to hold fast. At one point he says, keep on doing the things that you have learned. So he's not writing to them a lot of new ideas or new content. He's saying, you have your attention on the right thing. You just need to keep your attention there. This series is about how to focus... On Christ because we live in an age of distraction now of course all of humankind has struggled to focus on God this is not a new problem but we have to reckon with the fact that we have additional distractions in our life the TV is front and center in most of our living rooms the computer goes with us wherever we go to give us work and email the smartphone is an unending source of of distraction. Social media platforms enable us to endlessly scroll through feeds, advertising companies spend billions just vying for your attention. Most of us live at a baseline level of distraction with a very short attention span, which means that every age of Christianity has its problems and temptations, but we have iPhones and Twitter. Okay. So we live in an age of of special additional distractions, which is why we need to talk about holding fast to Jesus. So, if you have a Bible with you, a physical Bible with you, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start up at the very first verse. If you're not familiar with where that is, it's in the New Testament, which is the last third of your Bible. If you go through the four gospel accounts about Jesus, if you go past the book of Acts, you get to Paul's letters. It's not Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, or Ephesians. Then it's Philippians, okay? So it's about halfway through the New Testament. We're starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. And if you don't have any other way, we'll have them on the screen, so don't worry about it. Verse 1 reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from the very beginning, we get Paul's gratitude. Listen to him write these words, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day we met until now. And being confident of this, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until his return. I love that Paul writes this. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. I have the right feeling about you, Philippians, because I have you in my heart. And wherever I am, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Can everybody say it with me? Amen. Amen. Paul is so often depicted as a curmudgeon. But Philippians shows us Paul is brimming with joy. And he hints at a fact in that in those first couple of verses that might give you the impression he should be frustrated. He says, whether I am in chains or defending the gospel. Now, we actually find this out later in this chapter, but he's writing this thankful, grateful letter from jail in a prison cell. Now, scholars debate whether he's in Rome or Ephesus or Caesarea. The important point is that in a, a Roman Authority figure probably a governor or proconsul, has determined that Paul is a troublemaker and we just need to get him behind bars So Paul you might think should not be grateful should not be brimming with joy He should be frustrated because he's got a problem He is in chains And we know from all that we know about Paul in the book of Acts that that guy wants to go everywhere with the gospel he wants to go to the synagogue and to the marketplace, and now it would seem that the gospel would be halted or impeded, that he wouldn't be able to do as much as he wants to do, but Paul says the opposite is the case. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden, really to everyone else, that I am in chains. For Christ, I love this so much. He is behind bars and he thinks, I have literally a captive audience for the gospel in here. The gospel is not going to be impeded in prison. It's not going to be halted. I'm going to keep spreading it, in fact, to the guards of this jail cell and to my fellow prisoners. I've just got a new audience now. That's how Paul thinks about his imprisonment. He's got a problem. And we would think he would be ungrateful, he would be frustrated, he would be writing about the injustice of all this, but he says, actually, this imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. That's not all. His chains have actually had an impact on people outside of prison. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His imprisonment has actually been inspiring to people outside of the jail cell. And there are people who say, hey, now that Paul's not with us, we can keep evangelizing. Look at what he's been able to face. We're going to do the same. We're going to be bold because Paul is bold. And I love that because the very punishment designed to halt the gospel and keep Paul behind bars, it's actually inspiring more evangelists to step up to the plate and spread the good news. Now, Paul does admit that the motives of some of the new preachers aren't perfect. He says, it's true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. the latter do so out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So we actually have a second problem that you think should really discourage Paul. We've got a lot of ambitious preachers. Who now know that since Paul is in prison, they think, well, we can step into the limelight. Paul had a lot of influence, but now that he's behind bars, we're going to take his place. Now, I would imagine that that could make Paul despair. But I love what he says in the next verse. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And he says, I'm going to continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Amen. I want to be clear here. Paul is not saying the ends justify the means or that it doesn't matter that they have false motives. He's saying this is how amazing Jesus is. Jesus can get good sermons out of bad preachers. Right. Amen. Thank we can God. all say that together. Man, bad preachers don't get in the way of Jesus. He can do exactly what he wants to do, and he can even use them. Their ambitions, their false motives, they should change. But Jesus is not stumped by these enterprising evangelists. But here's the thing. Paul has another problem. He doesn't know the final verdict for his trial. He is sitting in prison Preaching to the other prisoners and to the prison guards. But he hasn't heard the sentence. And the Roman Empire got rid of a lot of troublemakers. Last week we talked about how they exiled John. I mean, is a death sentence waiting for him? I mean, if he dies, this is the end of a very successful missionary. And remember, he's one of the apostles. There's not a lot of those going around these days. There are apostles getting killed for their faith. And Paul would just mean one more dead apostle. But this is what Paul says. I know that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, let's say that bold underlined statement together. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pause for a second. Think about Jesus' impact on Paul's perspective. He is waiting in jail for a verdict he does not know. He could be complaining that the gospel is being impeded by his imprisonment. He could be complaining about these ambitious preachers. He could be complaining about the injustice of all these punishments. And in fact, Paul says, I'm in a win-win scenario. If the sentence comes down that I'm going to be executed, that's a plus because to die is gain. And if I get to go free, well, I just get to keep ministering to the people. I love the way he thinks about this. He says, if I'm to go on living in the body, that will just mean fruitful labor. What shall I choose? I don't know. It's so hard to pick which one I want. I'm torn. Between the two, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you, Philippians, that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, I've got two good paths in front of me. The good path is that I remain alive and I help all of you Christians with your faith, and I'm gonna come back to you in Philippi, and I can support you. The better path is to depart and be with Christ. Paul believes that if I get to live, I get to live for Jesus. If I die, I get to live with Jesus. If I live, I get to do ministry. If I die, I get to be a martyr. Win-win. Just stop for a second and review who Jesus is for Paul, how Jesus changes Paul's perspective. First of all, Paul is in chains, and his perspective is, well, now I've got a new audience. There's all these ambitious preachers in Philippi, and he says, well, Christ can still preach good sermons through them. There's a lingering potential death sentence, and Paul says, well, if it comes through, I'm a martyr. If not, I get to do ministry. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is not stumped by the worst of your circumstances. He's not confounded, he's not confused, he's not troubled. He knows exactly what he's up to. And, and Paul goes on to write these very, very important words. He says, whatever happens. Can y'all say that with me, those first two words? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. The solution to our problems is not always for our circumstances to change. It's for Jesus to change the way we view our circumstances. And whatever happens, to conduct ourselves according to the gospel. And here's the thing, standing firm on the gospel is not some passive, inert, apathetic, tame approach to life. Paul tells us to be active. He says, you need to strive together as one for the faith of the gospel without ever being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And when you are fearless and standing firm for the gospel, it's gonna be a message, a sign to them, your opponents, that they will be destroyed and you will be saved. And that by God. Paul goes on to finish this first chapter. He says, it's been granted to you. It's been a gift to you on behalf of Christ Not just to believe in Him. That's the first part of the gift. The second part of the gift is to suffer for Him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Okay. This series is about holding fast to Jesus. And one of our biggest difficulties with focusing on Him is our life's circumstances. We're distracted by our suffering. We're distracted by our opponents. We're distracted by... Fears in our life. But Paul says whatever happens, whatever your circumstances are, live your life according to the gospel. Keep conforming your life around Jesus. That's how you stay focused. You don't let your current situation distance you from Jesus. You let Jesus change your view of your current circumstances. Just look at the way Paul does this. He's in jail and he says, now I have a new opportunity to preach. Jesus has changed his perspective. I just read a book by a, a preacher named Simon Ponsonby. It's, it's, called, it's called Amazed by Jesus. And he says, he's a preacher, and he says there are three kinds of sermons. There's the come-to-Jesus sermon, the come-back-to-Jesus sermon, and the come-closer-to-Jesus sermon. And I think that's a pretty good summary for this series. If you don't know who Jesus is, you need to know him. He's the reason why you exist. He's the source of all joy. He can forgive your sins. He loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you. Come to Jesus. And if you once knew Jesus, but you walked away from him, come back to Jesus. He's waiting for you. He hasn't lost his love for you. He can even use your time away to rekindle your love for him. And there's nothing you've done... Or could do that's beyond his forgiveness. And if you are lost and you're found, then all the angels in heaven will celebrate. And if you're close to Jesus and you haven't left him, come closer. In Christianity, we don't believe in a safe distance from Jesus, a comfortable proximity. Jesus is not a book you read and then put on the shelf never to reread again. He isn't a movie you've seen before and don't need to rewatch. He's God in flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity. Your mind, your heart can never reach the bottom of his glory. So come closer to him. Know him more. I love the way that... St. Therese of Lisieux writes this in one of her prayers. She says, my God, I choose all. I don't want to be a saint by halves. I'm not afraid to suffer for you. I fear only one thing, to keep my own will. So take it, for I choose all that you will settle for being a saint by halves. I don't want partial Christianity. We want to know more of Jesus. We never want to settle for less. So if if you pray uh, this sermon series, if there's anything that you gain from this, I would tell you pray more. If you fast, fast more. If you talk to Jesus, talk to Jesus more often. Worship him for longer stretches of time. Read his word in greater depth. Spend time in silence just for Him. Give away some of your possessions that you don't need just for His sake. Give up your vices and bad habits for Him. Serve the poor for Him. Ask yourself, how much distance is left between me and Jesus, and how can I close that gap? Because if this series is about anything, it's about getting closer to Him, holding fast to Him, focusing on Him. And when we get distracted, when we turn our attention away, turning back to Jesus. He is everything. You need him. He loves you more than anyone else loves you. And if you spend any time away from him, he always wants you to come back. He's waiting with open arms. He will not push you away. He'll not abandon you. He's here for you. For each one of us individually. That's how much he loves us. Today, take one step closer To Jesus. And hold fast to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we just want to know Jesus more. Show your son to us. We want to know everything about him. We want to know every word he taught. We want to have it stored up in our hearts so that we never forget it. We want to look at every situation in our lives the way Jesus would look at those situations in our lives. We want to be with Him. We want to be like Him. We want to live for Him. We want to die for Him. Anything for Jesus. Father, I pray when, if there's anybody in this room that is far from Him, And maybe knew him a long time ago, but has slipped away and spent time away from him. I pray that right now, right now, they would pray to you to see Jesus, to know him. Not as an idea, not as a historical figure from a long time ago, as the living, risen Lord of all things. Father, we just want to know Christ. We want to know his sufferings. We want to know the power of his resurrection. We want to see him in heaven. We want our entire lives oriented to him. Father, give us clear vision, a grasp of Jesus, and give us the power to hold fast to him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.